0: Welcome to the Not Old, Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 295. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living interview series, our guest today is Dr. Calder Walton. Dr. Calder Walton is author of the new book, Empire of Secrets, British Intelligence, The Cold War, and The Twilight of Empire. Dr. Calder Walton is the Ernest May Fellow at the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University where his research includes espionage, the intelligence services in Great Britain, MI5, and the US, CIA, and others. Dr. Calder Walton is a leading expert in the history of espionage and intelligence and is author of the new book, Empire of Secrets, and serves as general editor of the cambridge history of espionage and intelligence a three-volume 90 chapter landmark research study exploring the role of intelligence in statecraft and warfare to this day and why it's still alive for moscow after the cambridge five
1: so the five cambridge spies uh, they are so important to understand post-war international relations between britain and america and the soviet union Their revelation plunged international relations to new depths in the Cold War. And for Russia today, it's a Cold War that it seems never really ended. Uh, What we find in the records that have come out recently in Britain and America is that the truth is even stranger than fiction. The files that I've looked at for this research seem like something straight out of a John le Carré novel. And as I said, it's still alive for Moscow. So I think that's very important for us, too.
0: That of course is our guest today, Dr. Calder Walton. Dr. Walton will be discussing espionage, the intelligence services, and chatting about his new book, Empire of Secrets, at the upcoming Smithsonian Associates program titled The Cambridge Five, Soviet Intelligence Spies. The program is sold out, so check out the website if you'd like to be put on the waiting list. Please join me in welcoming, via internet phone to the Not Old Better show, Dr. Calder Walton. Dr. Calder Walton, thanks so much for joining us today. I just think this is a fascinating subject. I'm excited to talk to you Let's just jump right into it. Tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited by it as well It's an interesting time to be researching the history of intelligence and espionage and at my uh, forthcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, I'm going to be looking um, into the five Cambridge spies who uh, were Soviet agents who penetrated into the heart of Britain's intelligence services in the 1930s and in the Second World War, then through to the early Cold War. And um, these uh, high-level agents were probably the most important Soviet agents ever recruited by the Soviet Union. Some would say probably the most important group of agents ever recruited by any power in
0: history. Again, I just love this subject. I know our audience is going to. I think espionage just has that, that power to it to bring us all both current and then, and then historical. And, and I think historically, many of my audience will remember the name Kim Philby, of course. But Philby wasn't alone, as you suggest. There were, there were the Cambridge Five spies. What, who were the others? And why did they betray uh, their, their British homeland for Russia?
1: That's right. Well, the most infamous, we should probably say, was um, H.A.R. Kim Philby. But as you said, there were four other in this group, the network, uh, and the others were Guy Burgess, Donald McLean, Anthony Blunt. And the missing fifth man that it took eventually 30 years to track down was a man called John Cross. He was only properly identified by a um, an agent that MI6 was running in the KGB in the 1980s. And um, in fact, uh, he had stopped spying for the Soviet Union in 1951, but this was a 30-year investigation um, that it took MI5, MI6, CIA, and FBI to conclude. In fact, they'd identified John Cairncross years before, but they didn't know that they had identified him properly. <laughs> so as I alluded to at the beginning, the, the truth is, is stranger than fiction when you look at these files that, that have that have just come out. Um, why did they portray their country? Well, um, it, it it seems no no more complicated answer than ideology, that they believed uh, in the communist um, vision of the world in the 1930s. You have to remember that in the 1930s was when communism Uh, Soviet uh, Communism seemed to be the best defense, as many viewed it, against fascism and and Nazism. And they they believed that um, Stalin's Russia and its ideology um, would help defend the world against fascism. So they were willing to portray their country, uh, Britain, and its closest allies, including the United States, for their belief um, in what was actually, we can see with hindsight, a myth image of um, what Russia stood for, that that, um, they believed that it was a a new socialist utopia and they were prepared to look the other way about Stalin's barbaric um, murderous treatment of his own people and foreign populations.
0: What was the damage that these individuals did to the British intelligence system and the US intelligence service?
1: It was catastrophic to put it put it um, bluntly and and, and simply, it was absolutely catastrophic. Um, They penetrated um, into the heart of Britain's intelligence services, dealing with some of the most sensitive information in the Second World War and in the post-war, early Cold War period. Kim Philby managed to get himself appointed within MI6 to be the head of the department in MI6, dealing with communism and Soviet espionage. That's to say, the head of the MI6 department dealing with Soviet espionage was himself a Soviet spy. So, as one of his MI6 colleagues put it, this was a masterstroke, and the history of espionage records few, if any, comparable masterstrokes. It meant that the entire post-war effort on the part of Britain and the U.S., because the U.S. was sharing what it was doing with Britain and vice versa, it meant that all of Britain's efforts to deal with Soviet espionage were immediately known in Moscow. And in fact, Stalin found out some British and US secrets even before the US President Truman did. Absolutely extraordinary. But Kim Philby, as you alluded to, is the is the more the most infamous of the of the network. But the other four members of the Cambridge network also did similar damage burrowing their way like moles into different departments that were dealing with sensitive information. Donald MacLean um, uh, worked for the British Foreign Office and was the head of the American desk in the British Foreign Office. He was responsible for liaising with all of the most important power brokers uh, in Washington in the post-war years. And uh, and this even involved um, sensitive information about atomic Research and atomic um, energy, and he passed it all over to Moscow. So, in total, there are something like twenty thousand pages of top secret, high grade intelligence that the five Cambridge spies, the so-called Ring of Sp- Ring of Five, passed over to the Kremlin um, in their in their total time working for uh, the KGB.
0: We are with Dr. Calder Walton, who will be at the Smithsonian Associates Program Tuesday, December 11th. That's coming up quickly. Speaking on the subject of espionage, uh, a known expert, author of the book Empire of Secrets, and also the general editor for the Cambridge History of Espionage and Intelligence. There are three volumes there. Dr. Walton, might we see some of these twenty thousand pages in some of that material?
1: <laughs> well, I, we certainly hope to to publish some of the, um, uh, the publicly available um, material from Russian intelligence archives. But the the problem is for anyone studying the, this this subject is that Russia isn't exactly forthcoming with its own intelligence history, or rather, it gives a very Um, particular view on what it did in the past and and glosses over and omits what what it doesn't want let out. So the best information about the history of the the KGB comes from defectors um, who who defected to the West. And there is a lot of information now available in Western archives um, from those sources. Um, So we will certainly be bringing some of this material into the Cambridge history of espionage and intelligence. I'm afraid your listeners will have to wait five years for this three-volume project to come out, but it will be worth the the wait, I promise you.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. We'll we'll wait. We'll put up links to where we can find out more information about Dr. Calder Walton, as well as the Smithsonian Associates program. Uh, Dr. Walton, you allude to this fifth Uh, man in in the the Cambridge Five spies, and and, and you name him, I think it was... John Cancross. Yeah, John Cancross. Cancross. Tell us, share with us a little bit more about that story, because it sounds like there's probably some more detail there that uh, we'd like to know about. There
1: absolutely is. John Cancross was um, another student at Trinity College, Cambridge. Um, Four of the five Cambridge spies studied there. Uh, the other one uh, studied at the next door college in Cambridge, so they were never very far from each, uh, each other. John Cairn Cross um, was recruited uh, just after he left Cambridge, um, and he um, joined, amongst other departments, um, Britain's code breaking unit, um, Bletchley Park, during the Second World War. And in that, the most sensitive of the Allied war part of the Allied war effort. Uh, signals intelligence breaking, he was able to betray enormous amounts of high grade British and US intelligence efforts um, to the Kremlin. Um, He was um, after the first two of the Cambridge spies, Guy Burgess and Donald McLean were identified in 1951. Uh, Their identification came from a decrypt, uh, some code breaking that British and US code breakers had successfully cracked. Um, from uh, older KGB messages going, um, that they'd intercepted. Um, when they were identified, Guy Burgess and Donald McLean, suspicion soon fell on other members of the network. And this included John Cairncross. Now, no one was sure if, he's, if he a- absolutely was um, a Soviet agent and if he was the so-called fifth man. There was the. Uh, Uh, twists and turns and looking for the trying to find out the fifth man with all sorts of British politicians and cabinet ministers being publicly accused at different times. And it turned it only that the proof that Britain and America needed only came 30 years later uh, when MI6 had managed to recruit a, a high level agent of its own in the KGB. And this was Oleg Gordievsky. And Oleg Gordievsky uh, was able to um, tell MI6 that the fifth man was John Cairncross. And it turned out at that point in the 1980s that actually they had uh, got a confession from Cairncross in the early 1960s, but they just hadn't known that he was actually the missing fifth man. They knew that he was a Soviet agent, but they were still looking for another fifth man. They thought there might be a fifth man. And in fact, they'd already found him. But they didn't know that they found him. I hope that makes sense to your listeners. It's a, like all of these, all of these stories with um, uh, intelligence and espionage and counter-espionage. There are twists and turns, and it's often quite difficult to keep track of what's going on in a, in a wilderness of mirrors, as it's, uh, it's often called.
0: It is, but you, you you tell it well, and 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 your your books and your research is highly acclaimed. We're looking forward to seeing you at Smithsonian Associates' presentation, December eleventh. I want to just fast forward uh, here with you for our, for our final question and ask you a little bit about some of the acts of, of espionage that have occurred over the years, particularly with the Cambridge Five spies. How has that shaped uh, Russian intelligence to this day? Yeah, well,
1: it certainly seems that uh, this story, although it happened a long time ago, is still very topical for the Kremlin um, at the moment, and particularly for for Vladimir Putin, Putin himself being a former KGB officer. And the KGB look upon the Cambridge spies, they call them the the Magnificent Five, as they're known known within the KGB. Um, The KGB look to them, um, with pride. They were the great heroes of their foreign intelligence operations in the 20th century. Now, the, the Russia's new intelligence services, uh, post-Cold War, post-communist service, the Foreign Intelligence Service, the SVR, and its domestic intelligence service, the FSB, still look to the Cambridge spies, the Cambridge Five, with great pride. In fact, the SVR, Russia's intelligence service today, regards itself as the heir, the proud heir, to the KGB. So Kim Philby's portrait still hangs on the wall in the SVR's so-called memory room. In Moscow, they recently opened a uh, museum to Kim Philby. That was two years ago. And just this month in November, the mayor of Moscow has um, dedicated a square near the present day headquarters of the SVR, Russia's intelligence service, now is known as the Kim Philby Square. So for for Putin um, and the people that help him run Russia today, this, this is an ancient history. This is something that's alive and well. In fact, we could say that for Putin, it's a new form of Cold War and it has all the trappings of the old Cold War, or maybe really for Putin, the Cold War never really went away.
0: This is a fascinating subject. We will learn more from Dr. Calder Walton, December 11th at the Smithsonian Associates presentation. We've been fortunate to be talking to Dr. Calder Walton today. Again, Dr. Walton, we sure appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation and look forward to my talk at the Smithsonian.
0: We look forward to it as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Walton. Remember, Dr. Calder Walton, author of the new book, Empire of Secrets, British Intelligence, The Cold War, and The Twilight of Empire, will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program December 11th 2018 at the Hirshhorn Museum. The program is sold out, and for more information and to be placed on the waiting list, please see our website. Thanks to Calder Walton for joining me today. You can follow Dr. Walton on Twitter at calder underscore walden will put up links on the site for all of dr walden's social pages and sites and thanks to the wonderful smithsonian associates team for all they do to support the show the not old better show talk about better thanks everybody